This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Some people think that salvation is just a ticket to heaven. They think that the only thing that changes is their destination. You know, true salvation is a lot more than just escaping hell and going to heaven. As a matter of fact, if that's all that you have an interest in, in your salvation, I would question the reality of your salvation. There are some things that accompany salvation. And if they don't accompany it, there's reason to be concerned. There are things that change us, that make us something we weren't before. There are things that assure us, give us confidence in our lives and in our, in our destiny and things like this. And there are things that uh, give us special privilege, privilege that those without Christ do not have. And this morning, I'd like to look at some of those things. Uh, so if you're there in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, just going to read one verse. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. I've broken this down into three groups, and I've got so many different passages that if you can get there fast enough and want to turn, you may, but I have them typed out in my notes, and and you don't need to on all of them. The first list I've got, which is the longest, are things that change us. When we get saved, the Bible says we're a new creature. It says that more than just once. We always go to 2 Corinthians 5.17 and quote that, but it says it in Galatians. It says it's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's a new creature, things like this. What matters is that we are new creatures. In this verse, uh, he has just talked about, about those who hadn't grown. He ended chapter 5 by saying you should be teaching. Instead, you have to be taught. You should be chewing meat. We're happy to give you meat. And he goes through through some other things as we come into this chapter. And, and, he, and he talks about, about those who come close and just don't, and, and then turn away and things like this. And, and uh, 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 he, he talks some about in the verses leading up to this about good crops and bad crops and things that grow good, you know, the good the herbs that are good to eat and things like this and the thorns and things like this. And then he gets down to, to this verse and he says, but he has, he thinks better things for us. It's not a minimal Christian life that we should have. It's a fulfilling Christ, Christian life that we should have. Shouldn't be just, well, how much do I have to do just to get by? It should be, what can I do to have the best Christian life I could? And by the way, I don't care what Joel, Joel Osteen says. That doesn't mean that everything goes well all the time. It means that you have a full Christian life because you know you're serving God. You know you're doing what's right, and you know that when troubles come, that He's going. Uh, trouble comes. You're, he's going through them with you, and He will bring it out to your best end. That's what a good Christian life is a, a, about. We should be benefiting from these things that accompany salvation. We should be. Something that's different that the world looks to and says, wow, because we've got a wow kind of a God. And that doesn't mean riches and health. That means, that means an attitude toward God and, and, a, and a confidence in trials and tribulations and all of those things that show who God is. 
And we should be seeing those in, in Christians' lives, and we're not. So some of the things that change us as we uh, look through this, the first thing that changes is we have a spiritual mind. In Romans chapter 6, or excuse me, chapter 8 and verse 6, it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, there are two kinds of minds that you can have. You can have a carnal mind, and it says that carnal mind is death. Well, what is that death? I know a lot of people that are wandering around that have a carnal mind, and they're wandering around, and they're working, and they're playing, and they're doing all the things that people do. But it says the carnal mind is death. Well, they're separated from God. And that's death. That's spiritual death. The spiritual mind is a mind which is life and peace. It's eternal life and peace with God. It joins us to God. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people today going around saying they are spiritual, but they're following the wrong spirit. I mean, there are people out there that, that criticize and ridicule Christianity all the time, but they're spiritual. You know, we need to understand that that something has changed and we now have a spiritual mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, we're told that we have the mind of Christ. Now, there are two ways that we have the mind of Christ. First of all, we have the mind of Christ living within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, what do we mean by the mind of Christ? We have somebody inside us, the Holy Spirit, who thinks just like Christ does. And he tells us to think just like Christ does. Would that we always did, but we don't. But we have it. Another place we have the mind of Christ is here in the Word of God. You know, I have a lot of people say to me when I talk to them, they say, well, God told me. If you say, God told me such and such, I'm going to tell you what my answer is going to be. What passage of the Bible did he use to tell you? Because you see, the Holy Spirit, although he may work in us and say things, speak to our minds in a way that isn't an exact quote of the Bible, it'll be based on the Bible. It'll always be based on the Bible. I don't know how many times I've heard people tell me things that were totally contrary to Scripture and say, well, God told me to do it. No, he didn't. Well, maybe a different God did, the God of this world. We need to keep that in mind. A spiritual mind will love the Word of God, will want to follow the Word of God, will not be 100% successful, I'm sorry to say, because we still live in our in our flesh and we have that constant battle. I mean, I still think, you remember years ago, those of us who are old enough used to see the cartoons with the angel sitting on one shoulder and the devil sitting on the other and they'd, and they'd be trying to pull us the different ways? Well, although the picture may not be really accurate scripturally, the principle is... We do live in the flesh, but the more we allow the mind of Christ to dominate in our life, the less the battles will be. Another thing that we have, something that accompanies salvation, is spiritual life. In Romans chapter 8 again, verses 10 and 11, it says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. Now there's a lot of thoughts that go through my mind as I read that passage of scripture, those, those couple of verses. Uh, you know, it talks about if you're in Christ, your body's dead. God can't allow sin in his presence, yet he indwells these bodies. So why didn't our body die? Because of the Holy Spirit. 
Once we're saved, our source of life changes. It's not just natural anymore. We have spiritual life. Our, our bodies are dead because of sin when we're in Christ. But in Christ, the Spirit is life because we have the righteousness of God dwelling in us. Sometimes we don't realize what really happens when we get saved. We think it's just, well, okay, now I believe I'm, I'm going to heaven. It's not that, folks. It's a total transformation of who we were. Our bodies are made alive or quickened by the Holy Spirit of God. See, we're now alive to God. Our bodies are totally divorced from God until we're saved. But once we're saved and the Holy Spirit moves in, now even our physical self can have a relationship with God. Now, we are triune just like God. We have, a, we have a body and a soul and a spirit. So we have spiritual life now, which we didn't have before. I tell you, without that spiritual life, I think it would be hard for us to abstain uh, from some of the physical things that had us in its grasp prior to our salvation. But our body is able to handle it now because we have the Holy Spirit inside. Not only do we have spiritual life, we also have eternal life. In John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You know, if you're in Christ, you are his sheep. His sheep are those who have trusted in him. Let me say something about this word, believe. The word believe has several meanings, just like most words do. Belief can be, can be just acknowledging that something is true. That's not a saving belief, folks. If I say, well, okay, I, I, okay, I believe that's true, and then go on and just live like, okay, it's true, but it doesn't affect me, and go on, that's not saving belief. Saving belief is believing something is true to the fullest extent. When you disobey obey God... You don't believe that he's going to do what he said he's going to do if you do. But if God says he's going to punish you if you don't obey him, and you don't obey him, do you believe that he's going to punish you? Probably not. You think, I'll get away with it this time. Maybe next time I won't, but I'll get away from it this time. No, you won't. You won't get away with any of it. He gives eternal life to them. Now, eternal life, that is a life that will never end. Now, we're talking about life in relationship with God, because once you are born, or once you are conceived, you will exist somewhere for eternity. But it will either be in the lake of fire, or in glory with the Lord. be one of the two. So eternal life is that eternal life, or everlasting life with God in His presence. We have a life that's eternal, that is protected by Him. We're in His hands, and no man could pluck us out of his hand. Another one is we have an eternal life. This is a change, something totally new, a partaking in the divine nature. Now, we do not become divine, but we are, we are partakers of the divine nature. In Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, uh, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the, the corruption that is in this, this world through lust. 
So, like I say, we do not become divine, but we do partake in the divine nature. Well, what does that mean? Well, get your dictionary out and look up partake. And like most words, it has a lot of different meanings. So then you compare it with your strong concordance to find which meaning fits. And what you'll find out that partake means to be associated with, to associate yourself with someone or something. The instant we become saved, or instant we get saved, the the Holy Spirit moves in and becomes our constant associate. Now, sometimes we use that word associate to mean the inferior partner. Well, he's not the inferior partner. But the association with him is eternal once he moves in. So we are partakers of the divine nature. Now, how do we partake in the divine nature? When's the last time you were contemplating doing something that you knew wasn't right, or you actually did something that you knew wasn't right, and that still small voice inside said, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that, or you shouldn't have done that. You were just partaker of the divine nature. The divine nature, the Holy Spirit inside you, was prompting you to do what's right, or prompting you to repentance if it was too late to prompt you to do what was right. Another thing that changes us is we receive the Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Oh, I could easily go through all of those and, and talk about them, but I would like to point something out. Look at the language there. It says the fruit of the Spirit is, and then lists nine fruits. You ought to learn something from the way that's worded. See, fruit is an unusual word. Fruit is a word that can be singular or plural without changing. If we say there are fruits, we're not talking about a unit. But when we say there are fruit, talking about multiple fruits, we're talking about a unit. You get a fruit basket. A fruit basket has different kinds of fruit within it. So what we have here is a list of nine things that are one package. It's not you get love, and then later on you walk by the joy tree and pick one of those, and then you go to the uh, berry patch and get some peace or things like that. It's not like that. It's you get the whole package. You receive it all when you get saved. Now, although we have the whole package, because we still have that battle with the old nature, we have to work at developing the fruit. And bringing the fruit to maturity. I've got one here that I want to talk about. I hope nobody gets offended at it. And most of you are going to say, well, I don't understand that. Why would anybody would get offended at that? But I hope nobody gets offended. It's not that why I'm saying it. But it's just one that I feel like I need to bring out. Love and joy are the first two. But then we get to number three. And if you go over to James, and we're not going to turn there. If you go over to James, it talks about, about the warring amongst ourselves because we're not the peacemakers we're supposed to be the Bible says as much as in us possible we're live peaceable with all men what's the root cause of sin I believe it's pride and that's why we don't make peace like when we should sometimes I'm just using that one as an example we need to work on these things I have seen some things that have come up in this church that there have been real fighting between members. Most of the time we don't have that. It rises its ugly head once in a while. Real fighting between members. 
And if you, if you were in my position and looking at it as an outsider, not one that's involved in the things, I'm asking myself, what are you squabbling about? I mean, somebody said something or somebody did something or something. We need to be peacemakers. I mean, some things are big enough to fight over. But let's make sure before we fight that they're big enough to fight over. Another thing that accompanies salvation that changes us is we have Christ's righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ knew no sin. Even a lost ruler or governor, uh, Pontius Pilate, even he had the good sense to, to see the Christ without, without sin. He, he didn't say, I find no fault in him. He didn't say that. He said, I find no fault in him at all. Christ had no fault. Christ was perfect. Never sinned from conception till death. Actually, from way back before eternity, you know, in eternity and into eternity future. Christ is perfect, but he was made sin for us. What does that mean? He took our sin on himself when he hung on the cross. He took the punishment that was due us on himself when he hung on the cross. And why did he do that? So that his righteousness could be placed in our account so that his righteousness would make us righteous so we could become the righteousness of God in him you can't be righteous outside of him now righteousness changes things I mean it bugs me no end the amount of people who, who like to go to, to uh, uh, Ephesians 2 8 and 9 and I'll quote them you know them you, you, you should have them memorized as many, many times I've quoted them here for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of, uh, of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay? Oh, I don't have to work to get saved. Then they take and couple that with, we're not under law, we're under grace. Oh, now I can do whatever I want. Oh, verse 10 is still there. For we are created, those who are born again, those who have come to Christ, received God's grace by faith, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're not free to do whatever we want. We have liberty in Christ. We have liberty to follow him and do what he says. So those are things that change us. And I could probably list some more. Probably somebody sitting out there saying, well, why didn't you mention this one? Why didn't you mention that one? Because I didn't think about it. So some things that assure us. I only have three in this one. First of all, we have an, etern- an internal witness. In Romans 8.16, it says, The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, we have the Holy Spirit inside saying, Yes, I'm in here. You know you're a child of God. And if you don't have that witness, you need to check. But the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. And he is there. To tell our spirit that we are children of God. Let me tell you something. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit's in there, and he's telling you about it. And he won't let you forget. I can tell you what a good portion of that witness is. What happens when you sin? 
If you don't have conviction, if you can live in sin, I'm not talking about if you can sin. I'm talking about if you can live in sin and continue sinning and continue sinning, knowing that it's sin with no conviction, then you don't have the witness of the Holy Spirit. So you need to check something out. Another thing we have, and I already touched on this one, we have eternal security. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have an inheritance that's incorruptible. Anybody here inherit a house from their parents when they passed away? We did. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Now, if you don't do work on that house that you inherited, what's going to happen? It's going to turn into a pile of dust on the ground someday. You see, that's a corruptible inheritance. But we have one that that won't happen to. And it's undefiled. There's nothing in it that is corruptible. It fadeth not away. It'll always be there. It's reserved in heaven for those of us who are the children of God. It's up there. It's reserved. It's got your name on it. It says reserved for. And it's got your name on it. And who are we talking about here? Those who are kept by the power of God. You know, if we depended on our own selves to keep us saved, we probably would have been saved for about five minutes. Surely not more than a week. But we're kept by the power of God. How? Through faith unto salvation. If your faith was real and you received God's grace, it's permanent. And it's all going to be shown in the last day. We need to keep this in mind. The reason for our security is the power of God, not our own power. If you think that you have to work to keep yourself saved, then you do not believe in salvation by grace. You say, okay, I got saved, now I got to work to keep it. You're not saved till you're standing on the shore. I've said this before. If you fall off in the, in the ocean out there and, and you can't swim and the, and the lifeguard comes in and he grabs you and starts swimming to shore with you, uh, you're not saved yet because you don't know if a shark's going to get that lifeguard before you get there. You see, you're saved when you're standing on the shore. And we're standing on the shore if we're truly children of God. Here's something else that I think is important uh, that assures us we have an anchor for the soul. An anchor. Keep us from moving. Hebrews 6, verses 18 and 19. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. The two immutable things. It's interesting to look at the commentaries and see them talk about that. Well, there are two things that are mentioned in the preceding verses. One of them is the promises of God. And the other one is an oath that God made. And those things, God can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. So if he made a promise, it's impossible for him to have lied when he made it. And he made an oath that he would keep the promise. 
It's impossible for him to lie to that. He's given us two immutable things on which we can anchor our soul. We can be sure we should be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because we have an anchor for our soul. Because God cannot lie, our anchor is sure. And then I have two things that give us special privilege. And boy, I could have extended this list a lot longer. But I knew that by the time I got here, I'd be running out of time. So I just put two of them down. The first one is an inheritance from God. We've already talked about that a little bit, but in Romans eight seventeen, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also... Uh, may be also glorified together. True Christians are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means all of the riches of heaven are our inheritance. Our co-inheritance with Christ and, of course, with each other. It's a special privilege, but there's a cost to it. We inherit what Christ inherited and he suffered. It says, if so be that we suffer with him. You know, the Bible talks about suffering as a Christian. And it talks about suffering for well-doing. And that's what it's talking about here. And it talks about suffering as a criminal. That's not what it's talking about. You break the law, you pay the price. You do something stupid and get you in trouble. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about standing for what's right, like Christ did through his whole life, and suffering for it. That's suffering with Christ. And if we're willing to do that, it shows that we have something that accompanies salvation, shows that our salvation is real. And then we will share in his glory. I think that's something. I don't know if you have ever tried to think about this issue of sharing in God's glory, in Christ's glory. I mean, the Bible says God doesn't give his glory to anybody else, but he gave it to the Son. And the Son said, I'll share it with you. If you just be faithful, come to me and be faithful. I'll share that glory with you. And then the last one that I have here, and this one is so precious, we have access to the throne of God. Boy, that's a privilege. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Think about that last part, grace to help in time of need. If the prosperity gospel preachers were right, that everything's going to go well, why would you need to come to the throne of grace to find help in time of need? You'd never have a need. Not everybody has the the privilege of coming to the throne of the king. I think of two incidences in in the scriptures. Remember Esther? She came in there... I can just see her coming in there just all timid and shy. You know, you're my husband. You're the king. I need to talk to you. He could have put her to death for that. Nehemiah. He had to go before the king. He wasn't allowed to come in there with a sad face. And he came in with a sad face. See, not everybody. I only bring those up. See, everybody doesn't have the right to go to the king whenever they want. But we do. We have the right to go to the throne of grace, the God of heaven, the King of the universe, King of kings and Lord of lords. We have the right to go to his throne of grace any time we need help. Oh, what a privilege that is. 
And why do we have that privilege? Because Christ is our harp, our high priest. And we're in Christ. Therefore, we can approach the throne of God. But we don't have to do it like Esther did and like Nehemiah did. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. You can say, Father, you promised me something. And I'm here to ask you to make good on that promise. You promised to take me through the trials. And I am really suffering right now. Now, would you take me through it? You know, notice it says, it says uh, grace to help. It doesn't mean he just wipes out the problem, which is totally within his power to do so. But rather than doing that, he graciously takes us by the hand and walks us through it. And as long as we remember that he's there, we look and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is beyond me. I have no resources to do this. He'll say, listen, I'll take you through it. He will provide what's needed to get you through it. It may not be what you think is needed. It may be something totally different. That's where living by faith comes in. Remember, he knows better than we do. He knows exactly what we need. Salvation is much more than a ticket to heaven. Salvation changes our lives. If there's no change, there's no salvation. In salvation... God gives us so much. I but scratched the surface this morning of the things that God gives us. What are we willing to give Him back in exchange? You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist Heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.